So welcome to our first episode in uh, quite a while, where we're finally returning to the 1HP uh, Game Jam games, mm-hmm. which is very exciting. Uh, I had only mostly skimmed through these until we finally set a date for recording this. Uh, so I'm incredibly behind on, on this, and it was a wonderful surprise to get uh, what ideas were there. Yeah, lots of lots of different things, which is really, really cool, and way more games than I was really expecting to, to be reading through. Yeah, so today we're, we're going to try and go through all of the games that we received and spend a little bit of time on them, um, with kind of one exception. So mm-hmm. we were deliberately pretty open and saying, like, make us whatever kind of game you want, uh, which means that we got submissions from folks who um, we're pretty sure don't know this podcast. and They just saw a game jam. They saw, they saw a game jam and were kind of, like, mostly tangentially related. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're not going to talk about the, the video games that came in, uh, because honestly, I wasn't expecting that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the ones that did... Uh, were a couple of them did seem a little closer to our actual concept, but some of them sure seemed like people just kind of dropping their games in. Yeah. Uh, so if you listen to this podcast and submitted a game, and we're really looking forward to our feedback on your your video game, yeah, uh, let us know. Let us know. <laughs> We'd be happy to come back to that. I actually had a little bit of problems playing a couple of them, and then a couple of them I was like, I don't really want to ra- download a random binary. So like, uh, yeah. Anyway, on the the. <laughs> tabletop game side of things. Uh, yeah, which one do you want to start with? I was about to say, I have them in an order based on how they were listed on the, the Game Jam page. That's my uh, approximate order as well. Okay, cool. So, so I have Operation Hardcase first. Yeah, totally. So Hex Crawl with Procedural Dungeon Generation, which is already really cool. Yeah, yeah. So this is by uh, Paolo Jose Cruz. Uh, <laughs> and the pitch is one shot, one HP, infiltration, hex crawl for one or two players. Mm-hmm. And that pitch uh, sold me real hard. Uh, it was also uh, one of the cooler presentations for a game that we got. Yeah, like I was very surprised. We had a lot of games that were like serious amounts of effort in the content. Multiple pages, artwork, uh, interesting font and, and layout decisions, all this kind of stuff, right? Yeah, like I, I thought this one was one of the most complete games that we got. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the kind of high-level description of it, it, it's somewhere Apocalypse World derived in that it uses kind of move terminology and has some similar uh, kind of range of success mechanics. Um, but basically, uh, you're either playing on your own and making up the place that you are infiltrating as you go, or uh, playing with another person who is kind of GMing for you and you switch as you go through each zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you play through six zones that are hex crawled together, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of my one complaint with it, is mm-hmm. that the hex crawl aspect of it, like six hexes to crawl through, is not much of a crawl. I don't know. I think I think it's enough for you to have... If you spend enough time per hex, sure. like that's that's a session. That's a good session. I, I actually agree with like the for the game that it is, it's good. It's mm-hmm. just the the hex crawl pitch makes me think that there's going to be a bit more of a like. You want a deep? I'm going Metroidvania through this maybe monstrous not deep necessarily, but like I think there should be probably a little more. The hex crawl aspect of it isn't isn't all that strong. There there are some mechanics around uh, like scouting out locations and stuff, so you you could like end up with a more complex map. But it seems like it's very possible to play a map where you only ever have six hexes, and uh, that that makes just kind of there's added potential there that this could be like a bigger thing. Um, but that doesn't really knock on the game that's there. It actually has pretty cool mechanics. Uh, the the one HP ness. 
falls in where uh, all your gear can take one hit for you. And if you have no gear and you take a hit, uh, you have to abort the mission. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I thought was, uh, like, that's something that I'd kind of thrown out when we talked about this. I think it's a really good implementation of that. And uh, the, the binariness of one HP I thought worked really well for stealth. Like, there's also a element of, like, are you exposed right now? So you kind of have, like, a padding around your HP where if you're not exposed, you can't, uh, you, for the most part, can't get hit. Right. Um, yeah, it's a lot of cool, cool ideas on. So, so you were giving uh, out uh, little awards for each of these two, right? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to say that until like I thought we had kind of like talked through most of it, but I have well, an award I, for I every think, single game. <laughs> I think that if we don't make it relatively snappy, we're not going to get through. Oh, fair a point. Lot fair of point. These, right. I, I just wanted to make sure that you had a chance to add anything. I feel like I no, I think, explain this whole. I think that that was the stuff that I really wanted to cover. One of the things that was interesting to me about. Uh, about these designs is one of the failings that I have as an RPG designer is you get very caught up in the mechanical details of stuff and it's difficult to figure out whether uh, you've tied things into the fiction so that the fiction actually matters Mm -hmm. very much back into the thing. And something I was talking to Gary about yesterday, uh, another game designer friend of ours, is it's really hard to read rules and know how something's going to play. Yes. And he's been submitting his design to a couple of contests and getting feedback from them that just doesn't make any sense to us because we've played it, mm-hmm. but they haven't. They've just read the rule book. And if you've just read the rule book, there's a lot of things that you're like, I'm worried about this problem sure. that aren't actually problems, right? So I'm, I'm really curious how it plays differently solo versus two players mm-hmm. because that's a very different game mode, mm-hmm. right? I'm really curious if you could uh, run this as a kind of a Twitter uh, present things uh-huh. to the to the play the, the, the doomed group. pilgrim kind exactly of model. yeah and so I I wonder how how those would play if uh, if you want to play these things these are these are all very playable games too yeah. that none of them none of them stood out as unplayable so if you want to try uh, a really cool interesting one or two player hex crawl. Uh, take a look at Operation Hardcase. Yeah, so for for me, this one, the uh, the snake snake <laughs> award for stealth espionage action, or what is it, tactical? Anyway, uh, yeah, it. It, it took me a while as I was reading through it. I was like, man, this has a real Metal Gear vibe. And then I went back and noticed on the the uh, basically character sheet part, there's a like choose your code name and choose who you're infiltrating, and they are all the like, uh, you know. There's one there that was like a pistol tiger or something like that. Oh, yeah. Like that. It's all of the His ridiculous. Style, yeah. yeah uh, Kojima. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, I, I really liked this, not just for being one of the, I think, most playable games, even though all of them were playable, but for the keeping just the amount of Metal Gear in there. Like, Metal Gear Solid for me was a big formative game. So, I deeply appreciated that. Nice. Uh, where are we going to take it next? Just go down that list, because mine is in a slightly different order. Okay. Just because of how I had typed things up, and it'll be easier if we follow the same list. Okay. Cool. Uh, I have End of the Road by Jack Shirai next. Oh, I want to talk about that one then. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You, you take the lead on that <clears throat> So mechanically, it's super, super interesting. You're basically, there's like three interleaved, maybe four interleaved die mechanics here. Uh, all of them set up to say, look, you're going to succeed... Uh, but succeeding might have more or less of a cost, depending. And kind of driving you down this place where eventually you're going to take on so much baggage and and downsides that you will end up taking that one damage. Uh, 
which kills you. You do also have the kind of I can take damage on my gear thing that Hardcase has that yeah. a couple of these have used. But the way that damage on gear works in this one, um, I feel like it's a little bit more uh, more of an interesting legacy-ish type thing because you've written down details about how you got these items and mm-hmm. you've picked them up on various missions and stuff like that. I feel like it's built for... It's probably the longest campaign style game of the bunch, I think. I think you could play this one longer. My big worry, again, is this back to the... um, Feels like the fiction is kind of parallel to the Mm -hmm. mechanics. You talk about this thing, and then that gives you this mechanical benefit. And so I, I, you know, I always worry about playing uh, and, and... turning into game designer mode and just going fully abstract and saying, well, I don't have to describe this too hard because I'm already getting the mechan- the the mechanism, right? Yeah, I agree with that. Like the things that I wanted to point out here, first of all, I think you, you have to explain what the pitch is. It's basically oh, yeah, your, sure. your uh, kind of old semi-retired D&D adventures. It uses D&D stats. Um, and uh, the dice mechanics that, that Adam's talking about that all interweave here mm-hmm. are mostly around your like exhaustion and your kind of impending doom uh, catching up with you, mm-hmm. um, which I think is excellent theme. I really liked that. Um, there's also a, uh, so like the, one of the dice mechanics is around uh, things that are doomed. Mm-hmm. So you have doom dice and exhaustion dice and then your normal dice uh, and doom dice come up for doomed obstacles, which is just a wonderful name. I really liked that. Um, I do tend to agree. Like this is one of those games that I think it would be, sometimes easy to lose track of what the characters are actually doing and just talk about kind of like building your dice pool without talking about what the characters are doing to make that happen. Um, but the interaction of the mechanics here is really cool. Uh, the character creation, I think, also deserves a shout out. Yeah, yeah. Because you create your characters um, and then you describe a uh, adventure that you were on with somebody else and how that affects your stats, and then they get to basically talk about that adventure from their point of view and either take a bonus to the same stat or a different one based on how they were part of that, mm-hmm. which I thought there's a little bit of um, best friends there where, like, I, I almost wanted it to be, like, the uh, you tell them whether you were impressed by them or whether you bettered them or something uh, and do that kind of, like, old rivals reasoning, which isn't quite where it goes, mm-hmm. but I, I really love that element. That is something that I'm... I'm I'd love to see in more games. And to be clear, I think I think that if you maintained kind of this uh, kind of the burning wheel um, wises and helps and and uh, and fields of related knowledge type stuff where you tell the DM, oh, yeah, this is this is why I'm going to take this weakness die. This is why I'm going to take this doom die. This is why I'm going to take the damage on this item. This is how it saves me, that kind of stuff. If you maintain that thread through play, I think it'd be, I think it'd be really cool. Yeah, I think it, it as a game, might, uh, like, it would actually benefit from a few more of just kind of the typical, uh, like, fantasy adventure game things to keep you grounded in the actual actions of your characters instead of just kind of taking a step back and just describing, like, the the narrative of what's happening to them. Uh, so for me, this got the, uh, the Old Man Torchbearer Award for... <laughs> Uh, this crap again on the last day before retirement uh, because I could totally see playing this. My, my One of my gaming groups has like a running gag about playing, you know, the cop on the last day before <laughs> retirement and you know they're going to die. And that's kind of how this entire game goes. Uh, so I, I kind of want to play like adventurers who have like you actually have a clear retirement and this is your 
one last job before you turn in your sword and yeah. So yeah, so if you want to play this slow burn towards death, uh, that's End of the Road. Yeah, End of the Road by Jack Shirai. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I greatly enjoyed this one as well. Uh, oh, and there's another extremely strong one up next on my list. Uh, Hit Plus Die by Jason, I'm going to say Tochi? Oh, yeah, like a one-pager. It's a one-pager. Dense and interesting art. with art and, and monsters. Wonderful and... font choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it plays into this kind of like pseudo-early typeset uh, and early woodcut yeah, aesthetic yeah. to the, the one page. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. almost a one-character DCC funnel. Yeah, it's a little bit like a one-character DCC funnel. Um, So, like, the key things that stood out to me here, um, the person who is running the game is the Die Master, uh, and they really quickly explain what the Die Master does, and I think it's three or four bullet points, which I wish I had copied so I could read them out exactly, because my note here is that it was so good, I want more games to describe the the DM's role in uh, in this way, because, of course, Die Master, DM, there's lots of kind of cutesy stuff along that line, Uh, but it was an excellent description of... Uh, like the die master makes uh, rulings and ensures that we keep on playing by the same rules and uh, is like there to share information free- freely with the characters, um, all kinds of great stuff. And it was boiled into, it, it made Apocalypse World's GMing section look long by comparison. It's it's like agenda and principles in maybe four lines. Yeah, it was, crazy. it was really impressive. I don't think, you know, it's it's one of those things that it's great to hand to somebody who already knows role-playing games because mm-hmm. you're, all you need is to have a lot of the background and then it makes sense. It doesn't need like a, a complete essay, but I don't think somebody could just pick this up. And for this target it. audience though, it's perfect, for, for, right? For a target audience, it is great and I would love to see some game like take this and then a little bit like Apocalypse World, like start with it and then spend some time explaining that for the, the folks who are a little newer. Mm-hmm. Um, so like your your HD is your main die that you roll for everything. And I was really excited about that because I was reading it in order and I was like, HD, so like hit dice, like we're gonna have different size hit dice. That's I wonder what all you can do with that. Um, which you do. I was good. In a way, you do. You do, but like, so all the classes <laughs> start with a die, of a D6 HD, uh, which for each class has a different meaning. So like it's a hex die or a uh, hardy die or like they're all H words, which again is very cute uh, and very fun. It's and clever, right? It's clever. Yeah, sorry. I, I'm using cute as kind of like clever. Here. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so I, I really appreciate that. And then there, each class has a few modifiers that are either uh, things that modify the die rolls or flat out things you can do. Like the thief can just like, take small items like it's done you don't roll for it um which is all really good like this is this is right in that kind of world of dungeons sweet zone of like a super light role-playing game that could really expand kind of indefinitely uh which i really appreciated i kind of wanted more like i thought there was these cool opportunities for like so as you advance you can change your hdd to be bigger Mm -hmm. but i thought it'd be really interesting what if hd started out different sizes for different classes and if that like and it grew differently or something yeah and like it meant different things in some ways mm-hmm. like the wizard it, you know maybe the wizard looks for low rolls mm-hmm. for most things but there are a few common things like what if spell casting looked for roll low rolls but fighting still used your hd mm-hmm. and that's why the wizard is so bad at fight like there, there's lots of cool opportunities there the system could could certainly but as a one pager uh, yeah like, I that's mean, the thing it's dense it's complete it's very playable 
Uh, and it uses this kind of probability as hit point yeah. thing. Uh, so the kind of themes that run through a lot of these games are how do you deal with this prompt, right? And the probability as hit points, I think it works really well in this particular one because your hit die gets gets bigger. Yeah. Right? As you as you advance, your hit die gets bigger. And I think that that's, that's just a nice, simple background concept mm-hmm. for how to run this. And I think as a one-session kind of role-playing game, yeah. it, it'd be great. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think for the right group of people, just like World of Dungeons, this is the kind of thing that you might actually end up doing quite a few sessions of. Yeah. If, like, if you can bring some more of the... I, I think you'd probably want to create more of your own abilities to add on later and stuff and, like, make sure some of the monsters have weird effects and stuff. But this is actually... Like, I know folks who have played World of Dungeons for lots and lots of sessions. Yeah, like, totally. Especially if you bring a strong adventure to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an excellent set of rules. Um, so your probability thing there, the, the way that taking hits ro- works is that basically if you take a hit, you uh, save or die. Uh, so, like, it's the, the old, you know, D&D concept of, like, make a whatever saving throw or die. Except here, uh, it's only on, I think it's a one that you mm-hmm. are dead. Two is, like, dying. You get to, you know, spend a few last moments. And then up through, like, I think it's three and four are, uh, like, a minor wound or a larger wound, and, like, five is momentarily inconvenienced, and then six are better and you're fine. Right. Which I think is a really interesting way to do it. Um, it, it, it really kind of rehabilitates the, the save or die concept. Yeah, totally. Uh, which is actually the award that I wanted to give it. Uh, the Made Save or Die Cool Award for Reviving a Hated Mechanic. Because uh, I think this actually makes save or die like the thing that I want to do all game long. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very cool. And I would, I this one, actually more so than some of the others, this is one that I would love to see fleshed out further. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I don't think, I think there's some opportunities for interesting stuff. Like, I'd love to see more die size, die sizes used to, like, play off the, the hit dice thing. But overall, just, like, a, a slightly longer write-up with some more ideas on advancement and this is, you know, your your pocket RPG, like uh, yeah. the the scout book format that you can get printed up. I mean, scout books aren't the cheapest; they're they're actually a little expensive for the number of pages. But like, it's a pocket sized book that's pretty durable. Mm-hmm. Put this like, it's a pocket sized RPG, mm-hmm. and it still has a lot more of the like. So many pocket sized RPGs end up spending so much time on the like. Here's how you do harm and healing and attacks. And, like, right. this gets through all of that and uh, in kind of similar ways to World of Dungeons, but in a format that I, I think works even better. Yeah, and tiny, tiny character creation, too. Oh, yeah. Like, that's the other really nice thing is that it's, like, sit down, have have one set of dice, even yeah. just a D6 for a little while. Yeah. And and that's all you really need. Give everybody scraps of paper to write their name on, mm-hmm. and that's, that's, like, it, right? Yep. So that's hit plus die. Yeah, that, that was one of, of my favorites. And actually, it. like, hit plus die, now I keep on wanting to take this into the uh, the die comic books. No, yeah, associated sure. role-playing game <laughs> where, like, the size of dice is a big thing. Like, oh, I kind of want this to overlap with that. Uh, cool. So next up, I have The Forests of Feyre by mm-hmm. Aaron Goss. Cool little D20, mm-hmm. uh, kind of D20 light. I think the really interesting part of this game to me was the how do you build a five-step kind of adventure oh, piece, yeah. which was probably a quarter of the game materials, uh, if I remember correctly. And I think that that's probably the, you know, there's all these ideas in there about, you know, kind of a very, you know, vague and and creative magic system. Here's these abilities that you could potentially mess with. 
but it's up to you to come up with a lot of the creativity. It also has the um, this long-term uh, dye shrinkage and gain, right? And I think that it's the only one that I saw that has both of them happening simultaneously as opposed to just losing yep. a die, right? Yep. Uh, and I think that that's cool. It's, it's again, it's super playable. Like, I was yep. very surprised. I was ready to go into this whole jam and read half of these and be like, I, I don't even know what to do with this because I've read Game Jam games before. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's super playable. Yeah, so, like, I had some different things that stood out to me. I, I agree with all the things that you mentioned. Um, and, actually, one thing that before talking about this game that I want to go back to Mm-hmm. So a common thing that we've seen across most of these games is that you have one hit point or one thing that kind of resembles a hit point, uh, but every hit is also one hit point. Mm-hmm. One thing that I really liked about um, End of the Road, the kind of like retiring into oh, yeah, sure. one, is that it talks about there being damage that is more than one hit point of damage. You still only have one hit point, mm-hmm. and like you can take hits to other things, but like the, the idea... You know that damage is still on a open-ended scale, but hit points are always just one. Uh, I thought really, in some ways, engaged with the topic in a way. Like one way to look at this is, you know, emphasize the binariness. Another way to look at it is emphasize the um, the like classic. Uh, starting points here of right. like having larger numbers, but then make one of those numbers not larger. And I really appreciate that that did that. Yeah. Um, Farah, yeah, yeah, Farah doesn't do that. It, it focuses on um, basically a couple of ways of kind of like tracking damage things. Uh, overall, the thing that I really liked about it, um, it's an adventure where your main problem is like taking physical damage isn't the problem. It's mm-hmm. if everybody gets distressed at once, then the adventure is over because your group can't work together and you go back to town or whatever. Yeah, um, and so becoming distressed is the big problem. Um, I thought it was a little weak in that. For single characters, distressed just means that you're out of the adventure until something brings you back in, Mm -hmm. uh, which I I would have liked to see that be a little more interesting. But the overall idea of, like, the problem isn't can everybody, like, do their job. It's can everybody do it without getting too stressed. Right. um, Kind of made this seem like work. Like, this is, is like, my my day job. And, like, I thought it was a really (laughs) interesting, like, your real challenge is getting everybody to... Uh, want to keep going I thought was a really interesting approach um, and I think it's the f- it's the first game we've covered so far and it might be one of only maybe two games on the list where your hit point isn't you die yeah right a lot of the other games are you know they're going this very hardcore haha character elimination type stuff and this one's much more you could you could play these characters for a long time if you wanted to yeah. and just end campaigns or end sessions. With it. And I like I like the take on the topic that direction, right? Yeah, it's fun to it's fun to see things where it's not entirely, uh, you know, violence driven, especially for this kind of topic. Yeah, I, I totally agree. My my one slight complaint with this one, uh, and this is more just like a personal my my horse to beat or whatever. Um, it says uh, the last type of character creation is come up with a, a good character name like, and that gives an example or whatever. Uh, and it literally says, or whatever. And I was like, this is why Dungeon World has name lists. Like, th- it frustrated me a little bit that, like, th- there's actually a pretty good tone flowing through all of it. And then it's like, just, you know, whatever. 
Yeah, the I mean, the author certainly has word lists through there. There's yeah. word lists for spells and stuff. I think you know, I think for a, for a game jam. But yeah, if you're going to expand on this, that's that's certainly a direction to go. Yeah, for so, tone because it's probably one of the harder tones to do well. Yeah, this yeah. Kinda, this kind of light because fantasy. It, it's light fantasy, and it's it's about uh, like conflict between people to some degree. Like right. I, I would have liked to see the distressed part lean into that a little bit more. Not just you're out of it, but like. Yeah. Uh, so for me, this got the uh, the Big Mood Award winner for being, yeah, a big mood because uh, <laughs> trying to, to keep everybody working together is a lot tougher than trying to keep everybody alive. And that was Forest of Feyre, and I didn't write down my authors. So. Aaron Goss. There we go. Uh, so next up, we have The Minus Touch by Craig Maloney. Oh, man. This one this one is interesting. Uh, yeah, the, the one-liner pitch. Go for it. So the one-liner pitch is that uh, while playing the game, anything you touch disappears. <laughs> I think the one-liner pitch is this is KonMari the game. Yeah, this is this is KonMari the game. Uh, so you set a timer, and wherever you are, you... Uh, it's a solo game. Yeah, a solo yeah. game. Uh, the way that you play the game is while the game is being played, anything you touch that is not uh, a surface that you like walk on or that supports you uh, disappears uh, as far as you are concerned. Uh, and it's kind of a wonderful, like thought experiment. Thought right? experiment, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's way cool. It, it and one of the kind of optional rules at the end is uh, like when you're done playing, review everything that disappeared and decide if you really want to get rid of it. Uh, which is where the Conmari the game part comes in. Like you, you're supposed to review uh, just bringing it back, actually bring you joy or whatever, which I thought was, it's actually kind of a fun way to, like the KonMari approach is you throw everything out so you can see how much you have. Whereas this is like, you you start subtracting things. And I think the interesting part is like, basically accidental touches, like mm-hmm. the, the, how, if anything you touch is gonna disappear, how do you start rethinking your life? Mm-hmm. Like how do you interact with things differently? Um, so yeah, I thought it was a really interesting concept that really had me thinking, which is why it gets the high concept award for making me think. Yeah, this the author also does, you know, kind of tangential to the game, but I thought it was really cool that they went through a there's a thread of consent yeah. through this. Because it is a solo game, but you're gonna be pretending that things are gone if you're gonna play it like straight, right? Yeah. Uh, and if you're doing this around other people, especially other people that would be a little distressed if they were not there, right? Yeah. Uh, then it's kind of important to talk about that stuff. And I thought it was really cool for that to be, you know, this through line through the design because he does talk about it in several places, I believe. Uh, and that's really neat. Yeah. That was Craig Maloney, too, right? Yeah, Craig Maloney. Uh, and I believe it is laid out in uh, LaTeX. Yeah, the, yeah, the, I think so, too. Uh, what Donald Knuth developed to do all of his books in. So I kept on expecting it to, like, transition into trying to explain algorithms to me at some point, <laughs> uh, which was an interesting experience. I used to do, before I learned InDesign, that's how I did all of my game stuff. And, uh, it, yeah, it took, really took me back. Yeah, and this is... This went, you know, kind of perpendicular to the to the prompts too, because yeah. it wasn't you that has one HP; it's all the other stuff that has yeah. one HP. And that one HP is like fragile, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, it's neat. Uh, next up, I have Arid Apocalypse by Kelderon. Kel- Kelderon? Uh, I, I don't quite know names, how to pronounce that. Names are the yeah. hardest. Uh, so I got really excited when I started to read this because it it 
at first sounded like a like an arbitrated war game. Like there was going to be a, a somebody running it, and then everybody else would would be involved in it. Um, it turns out that it's a bit more of like a, a D twenty minis game. D twenty minis game yeah. where like the the GM is going to control the other folks, and you as a team are going to try and take them out. Um, the thing that really stood out to me is uh, it's got a uh, so if you're hit, uh, it's all guns. If you're hit by a gun, you're dead. Uh, but each gun has how far it can aim, its accuracy, and then how much it spreads out at that distance. Mm-hmm. And typically, you're you're advancing, you're starting out with some mixture of them, and then you're advancing two out of three. So it's the the classic like uh, good, quick, cheap, choose two. Like any any time you put people in a three extremes, try and navigate between them. Uh, that's like a really fruitful place to go. And I yeah, thought that it's interesting. Was kind of the best part of the game. Like I could see. I think it probably needs a lot more on top of that to be something that I would really want to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that the the theme didn't come through that much. It's supposed to be kind of like a uh, everything has become arid and there's like scavengers coming around and everything. There's a lot of potential. It's Mad Maxi, right? Yeah, Mad Maxi, except uh, food is the the like fundamental scarcity kind right. of. Um, I I think I think that the language is really cool. Yeah, uh, they they kind of went for for theme there, and I think that. In an expansion of it, I would want to see them either go hard miniatures game. Yeah. Because I think like Gaslands, there's totally hard miniatures game potential here, right? Yeah. Uh, this already has enough mechanism to work as well as any other minis game that I've played recently. Uh, you know, but which maybe says more about me than the miniatures <laughs> games. Or to go hard, okay, here is what happens when you actually meet in conflict but then around that is uh, much more of a how do we get how do we get to this place in the first place, right? Yeah. Like whether you want to play uh, Fury Road and we're just going to do one big conflict through the whole thing, or if you want to play uh, kind of big sparks and fire in between long moments of of kind of darkness, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it was uh, there. Uh, to me, this seemed like a great engine to keep building on top of. Yeah, totally. Um, like more so than some of the other games, I wouldn't change that much about the mechanics that are here. But I wanted to build something larger, either on top or kind of around it. Um, and actually, I I wouldn't even mind. I could see another direction being keep these basic mechanics, uh, but open it up more to the player versus player aspect of it. Like make it a, a full on like you can do anything war game here's how we know guns work everything else is up to you kind of thing uh-huh. uh with the gm you know re- resolving disputes and stuff you know maybe make it a hunger games post apocalyptic kind of thing where mm-hmm. like you know for whatever the the local warlord is making you fight for their entertainment or something like there's lots of ways to take that um mm-hmm. cuz i think the fundamental mechanic here is really interesting and the kind of overall aesthetic is interesting mm-hmm. and it needs more to like keep me going to with hold those. it up yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. So for me, this was uh, the Chassis Award for the best frame to build on. Yeah. The, that was Arid Apocalypse. Yep. Uh, By Keldaron. Keldaron. Oh, just just stick with your stick with okay. your cat for sure. Uh, and next up, Disposable Heroes by Sandy Pug Games. Yeah. I, oh man. Okay, this one. Do uh, it. <laughs> so the overall concept, I think, is the, the strongest part. Oh, uh, for sure. You have a deck of characters. Uh, that people are going to get. And your characters are uh, basically fantasy uh, 
Postmate workers, like d doing delivery or like Amazon delivery folks. Uh, so you are making deliveries, and at the end of the each job, you roll to see how it turns out. Uh, a complete success is a five star rating. A middle success is a four star rating, which means that you're in big trouble. Uh, and uh, a failure is uh, you're fired on the spot. Um, and that. That move right there and the overall concept of it is the thing that I want to see leaned into more. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so the other mechanics are, you know, uh, related to Dungeon World uh, set of, and, and pretty close to Dungeon World, it's cited as an influence, a set of moves uh, that I think are all very good. Mm -hmm. uh, but, like, the one that really stood out was the overall, like, gig economy fantasy heroes thing. Yeah. That is, uh, and so, like, the your characters are, dis it's disposable heroes in that, like, since they're on cards, they can die and you just... Swapping a new character who has a class and new stats and everything already on there, mm -hmm. and you just keep on swapping through them, which I think is really cool. It's kind of like a a, a DCC style funnel, mm -hmm. except uh, like so. Lots of people will pre-print their their characters for DCC funnels, right? But it's still the idea that they've come out of the same random generator, and they're and, all in front of you all at the same time. Yeah, and they're all in front of you. Um, the part that I think is really interesting here is having them on a deck. Like if this were a a published game with support. I would love to see like expansion decks basically that mm -hmm. you can swap in different sets of characters and like bring in a few special abilities on like they're supposed to be disposable so you don't want these to be like too important but it'd be cool if all of a sudden the next character to show up is you know a warlock which is one of the things in there but the special abilities of each warlock were a little different I'm like yeah. maybe I, I'm almost thinking you know magic expansion style there's a uh, mechanical theme through all the ones in a given pack. Yeah, the um, the way that the deck is built, each card is effectively a mini playbook. Yes. Right? And I think that I think there's a lot of potential there just in general. Um, you know, the, the author takes some uh, kind of shortcuts and says, look, we're just going to say Dungeon World, but here's the modifications to A, make it work with the deck, B, make it work with one hit point, and C, give it enough of the flavor of this gig economy thing yeah. to make keep it interesting. And I would love to see all of those, you know, if they're still interested in working on it, of course, it fleshed out into some in, into a bigger thing. Because one of the things that I have about playing Dungeon World with folks, just, you know, sit down and, hey, what do you want to play type style, is even though I do the just pick a name and then we'll figure everything else out as we go kind of start, I love games where you can just sit down and go, okay, go. Yeah. Just tell me what you're doing right now, and that's it, right? Any kind of any kind of fast fast start is just great. And I feel like this is the fastest start you could possibly have. Yeah, and I'm imagining like ways to do even more with this. So like uh, I would love if there were kind of themed packs of more cards to bring in. Uh, you know, you have your whatever uh, – devil tree pack that's all like warlocks and dark clerics or whatever um i think it'd be really interesting right now they have like everything is on one side of the card and the back is just kind of a like what kind of character it is mm -hmm. i think it'd be really interesting to get you started even quicker uh on the back of each card have um at one end a name uh close to the end at the other end uh, like a fantasy species kind of thing or mm -hmm. like a background whatever yeah, sure uh and then on the other side have a the full like class and stats and stuff uh, so that then you can put those all together you like take the the back top of one card and that's your name and you put that down and then you take the back the bottom back of another card and that's your your background and that you put that down so it covers up and then you 
put down the back, and then so you've <laughs> just got this push, little... push the DCC funnel idea and make it so the role of the character is just a couple of cards. Sure, like I, I think the char most of the characters should still be one card. I would have the even the background not matter. Uh, that's just to get you to even a name and stuff. Because well, like, you so think about it, right? My one of my pet peeves is games that like have most of the stuff coming from cards, but you still need to write down something somewhere, and right. you end up with this kind of like vestigial character sheet. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to make the entire character cards not because I want to randomize it as much, but just so that, like, maybe even it's the name is on the card. That, that's fine, too. But I think it'd be interesting to be able, like, in some ways you want to have a larger namespace than you do, like, class space necessarily. Um, and it'd be interesting to see a, a few of those matchups. So, yeah, like, I, I really, the underlying concept here, I really loved. Um, I do think, like, mechanically, I could see this drifting far closer to World of Dungeons. Mm -hmm. uh, like, I think in some ways uh, Dungeon World was almost a little too heavyweight, but I love having some specific moves for things. Yeah. Um, I, I could see maybe keeping some of the, like, the gig stuff and then actually backing down to, to kind of World of Dungeons, like, single role resolution for a lot of the rest of it. Um, Something else I'd love to see from this author is a bit more of an idea of how they how they expect the GM to come up with the gig yeah. or come up with several or whatever and and kind of run a session. And I know that that's... That's a pain to write, yeah. Uh, and I, but it's 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 something I wonder what was what what they were thinking about as far as you know, the way that I would play this off the top of my head, I think is going to be different, and I'm not sure if it would work as well. And, and I could see so like right now it's it's deliveries. I could see uh, what if it was more of like a a getting people from A to B business, like mm -hmm. a you know the the D&D 4th edition, points of light kind of thing. Like, people mm -hmm. need escorts to to go between... Uber for fantasy for Uber us. For, like, I think Uber, in some ways, is a more, like... It's even more uh, notable, the kind of, like, the rating culture, the, like, you have to review me well thing. Like, that all resonates even more than the kind of package delivery side of things. I mean, they definitely built some character concepts into here. Like, there's a detective card, yeah. right? They built some concepts in here that you could go pretty far afield uh, with the game. Uh, and I think I think it's it's a big shotgun spread of a concept. And, uh, you know, going for a kind of a chapter of the book that is, if you want to play this style, mm -hmm. if you want to play, you know, Uber Through the Forest, if you want to play uh, Detectives for Hire, if you want to play, like, that might be that kind of deck idea of yours, which is, yeah. here's the deck of cards for people that are going to do escort missions. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that there, there's a lot of ways to take this. Um, mm -hmm. I, oh, the other move that I wanted to call out is the I Quit move, mm -hmm. which is the equivalent of, like, Last Breath, kind of. Like, uh, the, it, there's the points where it, it is most pointed about the concept are the points where I think it was strongest. Mm -hmm. um, the, the rest of kind of the, the Dungeon World stuff was was a well-done modification. Like, I don't have any complaints about it, but yeah. it didn't seem as essential as the, the you know, finish your, your mission and get rated and, and that stuff. Uh, so for me, uh, this got the Disruptive Innovation Award for uncomfortably exciting new <laughs> paradigms in integrated business solutions. <laughs> You're the worst. Yeah, so that that is the kind of direction that I'd love to see. Like, I would love for this to, to go more Silicon Valley, both the show and the, the place. Um, so that's Disposable Heroes? Yeah, by Sandy Pug Games. Nice. Uh, next up, My Identical Cousin by Misha Handman. Yes. Uh, so, okay. The, 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 the conceit of this game, I think, is the 
by far the best part. Definitely. Uh, so the conceit of the game is that you are all sitting down to play uh, a game run by a GM who is kind of fed up and is trying to kill you all. And when your character dies, you know they're just going to die again. So all you're going to do is introduce their identical cousin, uh, which is a it's a wonderful glorious trip, right? concept. <laughs> um, and so the, the GM role is actually automated mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. Like you fill in color to it. But there's a whole thing of like if you get a certain number of easy rooms in a row, the GM throws a meat grinder at you next. Um, and the uh, the defining characteristic rule is that when you die, you scratch off your name and write in a new one and you give your character a new defining characteristic that can't have been used before at the table and can't be of kind of the same category as your anyone that you've used. So like if your last character had uh, bright red hair, you can't do hair again. Mm-hmm. And nobody at the table can do bright red hair. Um, which, oh, it's so good. The character regen... Is like half the game. I mean, it's, and it's, it's the probably, reason to play. It's the best part. Yes, the best part oh, for sure. Because it's GMless, right? You're you're just digging through this deck uh, to see how long your group can survive, right? Yeah. Uh, what's the What's the end condition? It's like if everybody is dead at the same time, type of thing. Yeah, there's an if everybody is dead at the same time and nobody can create a new character fast enough. Mm-hmm. You actually start, have like a real world timer on it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's your your TPK, and otherwise you you manage to muddle through it. Um, I, I mean, honestly, I would uh, like prefer this as like a supplement to another game in mm-hmm. some ways. Like a, uh, you know, the the DMs Guild stuff for D anD D is so open. I think there would be this is that's probably the right market for it. You know, something like Torchbearer or DCC or, or Dungeon World already kind of have their own takes on this, and like the tone would be a little harder to to match on. Mm-hmm. But as like a a well produced DMs Guild supplement. I can see this being uh, a big hit, especially, like, you keep the name, My Identical Cousin. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the layout as it exists was good, but I could see, you know, if you're trying to DMs guild this, like, pay somebody to make it look like a, a full-on, you know, lots of, people are getting lots of clicks out of the um, semi-joke D&D supplements yeah, at this point. Yeah, exactly. And this would fall directly into that. Like, you, you would get people, uh, I was going to say buying it, but at least sharing screenshots of it uh, a lot. Yeah, um, I think I think there's, it's it's playable enough, and the joke is good enough to last for you know a good half hour hour if mm-hmm. you're just hanging out with friends. Like it's it fits in that kind of Munchkin area of yeah. of I can tell stories about what happened in play, and it's just funny to see what shows up, but I'm not going to play a campaign of it, right? Yeah, but it's not really built for something like that, and the. It's a cool concept. I it's love a the cool concept. concept. Yeah, for me, this got the best rule award for most stealable mechanic. Mm-hmm. The especially the name "My Identical Cousin." Like that is that is gold. Uh, make this make this an add on for another game because the rest of the game the is I mean there, there was some interesting stuff there, but none of it excited me the same way as the the way you make a new character is scratch off things and here's how you have to you know make them new and different. Yeah, it's well written for all that stuff too. Yeah. Uh, so next, uh, A Duet of Steel by Adrian Thoen. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a game about dueling, but not the not so much the moment-to-moment of the duel. Like, you, you build up to the moment-to-moment of the duels, but then we're also looking at what happens to these people between duels. There's mm-hmm. people with a long-running, like, rivalry or conflict, and it, it comes to a head every once in a while, and you play out those, and then you, you back off again um, and find out how their lives go between them. Uh... 
I really liked the concept and I would have liked it. There's lots of examples throughout mm-hmm. of ways that you can take that concept. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been a much stronger game with one of those concepts as the thing that the game says it is. Sure. And then the rest as the, hey, if you want to drift this, here's all the other things you can do. Um, personally, I would love this as the Alexander Hamilton, Aaron Burr game. <laughs> uh, like that, that, I was reading it. I just, I was humming Hamilton. Like it was, it was a perfect fit for that. And I would love it. Like, I mean, it's a historical figure. You don't even have to, like, you could literally say Alexander Hamilton, the RPG. Mm-hmm. And it's a two player role playing game about being Alexander Hamilton, Adrian, uh, Aaron Burr. And like having, uh, Back and forth, like that would also bring a lot of focus to what things yeah, you sure. do between between your duels. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean the multiple duels thing, not quite historical in this case, but like anyway, close enough. Yeah. Uh, multiple conflicts and an eventual actual duel. Um, I found the actual dueling rules to be a little straightforward. I would have liked more opportunities for like surprises between the the folks. Yeah, my one of the things that I'm struggling with is any kind of competitive RPG is just really hard to build, you know, going back to this, how do you tie the mechanics back into the fiction that ties itself back into the mechanics, right? Yeah. And a lot of the card play in here is describe this and you do that when you play this card. And I think that the, you know, the play would lose a lot without the description, Yeah. but it's not strictly necessary you know, yeah. like the the mechanical details are all built on the cards and not built on, as far as I could tell, the ramifications of your descriptions. Yeah. So if you, you know, you can describe yourself having problems here, but there's no place where you're going to record that and then bring it back in and incorporate it again later and that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that I would really love to see the author go towards, mm-hmm. because I think this kind of two player dueling uh you know, long-term tension question, right? Is a really interesting one to go for. And I'd love to play something like this even just as a pen pal kind of game. I was just thinking the pen pal version of this where, like, I would love this as a game where uh, the actual, like... So we start out with letter writing phases where we can just... DM or, or, sorry, direct message, not like Dungeon Master. <laughs> like direct message or email each other or whatever back and forth to do our like, our, our build up. Mm-hmm. And then we actually meet in person to play the, the, the concept, itself, right? which uh, like I think maybe based on our back and forth, we can set the terms, whether this is going to be like a debate mm-hmm. or whether it's going to be like a, a chance meeting or whether it's going to be an actual duel. Right. And then uh, meet at the coffee shop for pistols at dawn. Type yeah. Of thing, right? And then, yeah, we, we use similar mechanics to play out all those. And it's actually a pretty interest, like hopefully that part would be an interesting mechanical game on its own. Mm-hmm. And then that seeds us for another round of like, we leave game night and we go and email back and forth for another week or whatever. Um, I just, I just want to tie a lot more of the fiction into how you're deciding to play your cards. Yeah. Right? Because one of the things that's really rough about doing a competitive one is you just don't have, you don't have a DM to moderate. Yeah. And so you have to have some kind of moderation that's entirely due to the cards. Yeah. And so something that's making it so that you might decide to play this card over that one because of the fictional situation. Would help a lot. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's what I would love to see them come up with, right? Is yeah. that kind of tie. Maybe, maybe that... The, when the other person plays their card and sets this kind of, oh, here's the thing that I'm attacking, 
Yep. Then, depending on what you play, maybe the thing that they're attacking, like there's there's a risk involved with the thing that they're attacking, or there's yep. uh, you're not entirely sure how this card will play out. But this particular card says I'm going to defend it, and this card says, well, you can take that if this particular thing happens. It would be interesting to also have like uh, elements of who controls what about the outcome. Be uh-huh. like, uh, oh, I'm yeah, going totally. to win over the crowd but you get to say something about how I do it kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, like, then you might choose to lose. Like, there is a mechanic already for you might choose to lose on a point, but it's basically, basically to conserve cards so right. you can hit later, which is is fine, but it, it doesn't... It isn't as interesting as if I choose to lose on that point because of something in the fiction of, right. like, I want to be able to say this about my character or, or my character wants to take this loss to win over, you know, the people watching or, or whatever, yeah. or to make a point about holding your gun in the air. Like, that, I think, if, if you can craft the duels in this game such that somebody might choose to aim their gun in the air, I think that's the point where you know this is working. Yeah, and um, I, that's the reason that I really want to push that kind of pen pal letter writing phase. Yeah. Because it forces you as a designer to say, here's a bunch of stuff going on where there's no cards involved. Yep. And so you can't be choosing your moves based on your cards. Yeah. And then you go in not knowing what cards you're going to have. And then you end that duel and you're done with your cards. Yep. Right? So you get to play this kind of tactical, interesting duel game. Because I think that the duel game that they have is an interesting mechanical, you know, detail. Yeah. And I, I, I haven't played it. So I don't sure. know how, how well... That, that is a good point. The, the mechanical It's hard to read and know, right? It, it felt a little dry to me. Um, but, but it, yeah, you know, it might work. And but I think if you can force entering that state to be fiction first and exiting that state to be fiction first, yeah. that'll help tie a lot of the inter dual stuff together. I think. Yep, and I think you know clarifying what it is like the examples there were a little all over the place, and I, I think this is the kind of thing where you you take the example of something like. Um, Dogs in the Vineyard, which is a game that has been drifted to so many other things, mm-hmm. but the game itself is very clearly very about specific, one thing. Yeah. And then everybody looks at it and is like, oh, what if you were a Jedi? What if you were Mulder and Scully? Like, you, you can do so much more with it. Mm-hmm. And I think this game would benefit from that. It yeah. is a game about, I mean, honestly, given that they're historical figures, I would go straight up to Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr like, and just like market it that way because you're going to get a, a decent amount of interest off of that. And then have a section at the back that's like, you know, this overall mechanic could work for these over other things. Like, here's some what you might do. See, um, and then I do mages, yep. uh, where the mages are also lords and ladies. Sure, I mean it could be it could go a little uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, right? Like the yeah, like especially any time where the time in between duels can reasonably be letters written back and forth between people. Right. I think makes it especially good. Oh, you could also. I, I you can almost drift into some kind of like uh, space battles where like battles are actually tough to get to because travel through space but you have like fast and like communication or whatever so mm-hmm. there's a lot of like posturing and trading information anyway there's yeah, lots that, of ways to take this but it's hard to it's hard to read it and and grasp it when you're bouncing between a lot of ideas yes. and trying to find just one specific you know it's the problem with any generic game right? and, and I think there's a few parts especially in the dual rules that if Especially if it was more focused on one type of thing and it was clear what, like, there's kind of a mention uh, or some mentions of the actual duels can be a, a few different types of things. Mm-hmm. I think maybe making it a little bit like uh, Mouse Guard or Torchbearer where, like, 
pretty much everything works mostly the same, but there's a few tweaks based on what kind of duel it is would go a long way. Um, yeah. Like you could do debates and stuff. You could uh, Lincoln Douglas, like you could do political campaigns this way, like mm-hmm. uh, or or Nixon McGovern. Like there, there's oh man, there's so but many great things you could do. Picking one through line and just saying to yourself, all of these other ideas that you could do with this, I'll let them be a hack yeah. of it. Right. Or, or you know, separate them well enough within the text. That, well, like, so so one of the one of the things that you know I talk about with the other designers that I work with is this idea of being able to say to yourself, "That is a good idea, but it's not quite what I need right now." Sure. Like you know, we joke that they're Kickstarter stretch goals, yeah. stuff that I'm not going to design right now, but it's a cool idea. I'll put it over here, right? Yeah. And and it just helps you focus. And I think that that's. That's all that you might want for this. The focus and that question about how to tie your card decisions also back directly into the fiction. And having a, a clearer statement of what the fiction is, I think will make that yeah. easier. So that okay. was Duet of Steel by Adrian Thoen. Right. Okay, we got two more to make it through. That's right. Uh, Little Mimic and the Big City by Chris Hopper. Uh, so the, the concept here is basically you are all playing... Uh, baby mimics, like monsters that can look like other things that have accidentally been dropped off in the city and you need to eat. Um, which I think is actually a wonderful concept. I love the concept. Yeah. Um, like, I I started out thinking from the initial pitch that this might be a little gimmicky, almost mm-hmm. kind of along the lines of some of the uh, those D&D supplements that I mentioned earlier where, you know, somebody comes up with a joke name or whatever and makes it look like a class write-up and, and right. sells it. Um, but there's actually, like, it's a pretty slick game in a lot of ways. There's, there's game here, for yeah. sure. And it's on a timer, and yeah. I love that because I love things that end. Yeah. You know? Uh, and this kind of, it's survival horror where you are the horror, uh-huh. uh, but you are also the thing that needs to survive somehow. It's just really cool. I think that I think that a good DM, and I'd totally play this at a convention. Yeah. Right? And, and I don't know, mechanically, it's it's pretty normal. Yeah. And that's totally fine. Yeah. Because the concept is just so good. Yeah. And this idea that you are hiding and thinking and planning about creatively what what you could look like, where you might go, what you might want to get, and the minimal amount of random tables to make the games different and the desires different and stuff, right? Yeah. Oh, so just a second. Before before I talk about this, I need to oh, go yeah. back and give my award to A Duet of Steel. Totally. Which is, of course, the Aaron Burser Award for Excellence in Rap Battles. <laughs> um, oh, man. You could be do Biggie and Tupac. Uh, okay, oh, anyway. <laughs> um, so, yeah, for, for Little Mimic in the Big City, uh, first of all, like, original art, which I thought was yeah. really cool. Uh, I love people who are artists and do their own art. Um, and the, the concept here carries some extra weight in that uh, a lot of the mechanics could risk going to that kind of the fiction doesn't matter side of things. But since you are playing a character who can literally become something else, you have to describe what you become. And the Mm -hmm. fact that it is so open-ended means that you pretty much have to involve the fiction. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't just be like, I take a form that won't be noticed. It's like, well, well, what? No, that's not a rule. Mm -hmm. A rule is you can take another form. What do you become? Mm-hmm. And I think that that little bit of the conceit uh, helps bring this fully into the like the the role playing portion of the game, 
portion of it, the fiction yeah. matters portion. Yeah, definitely. Um, otherwise, the rest of the mechanics are are good, but they don't always kind of tie back to the fiction the most strongly. Yeah, these this the idea of how you tie. So that's one of the things that you can describe that's almost anything, right? The other big thing is uh, you randomly generate your food type that you yes. want, yeah. and tying that into the world. Like, where am I going to find this? Uh, oh, man, I can't think of an example. Where am I going to find iron filings or whatever? Yeah. And coming up with, figuring out how that's going to work from the fictional description of the area yeah. is really cool. Because it's not like, I don't know, in, in D&D, you go, oh, you know, you found a bunch of treasure. And it's like, well, how many gold points is it? Yeah. Because I don't care unless it's unless you convert it to gold points. And yeah. it's really hard to play a game like that where you actually do come up with treasure that goes, oh, yeah, you found this huge painting. Good luck yeah. getting out of here, right? And, Whereas, and, of course, like, you need lead, and there's lead in that paint or whatever. That's like, yeah. right. In this, you you care about weird things that are hard to quantify. Yeah. And and so figuring out, you know, how do I get to that thing? How can I eat it without somebody seeing me? Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of that is very fiction-heavy. Yeah. And I think that that's really cool. It's and a, it's just, a really good fictional space for... for wanting because your character is so open-ended you mm-hmm. you need to involve the fiction yeah like in in some ways like the it's the counter to um typical D magic where like every spell is uh, like in some ways a wizard is a very easy character to to play because you don't have to think about the fiction in a in a lot of ways mm-hmm. like you have a list of things that you can make happen and they all spell out a bunch of rules for them. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is in some ways kind of the opposite. It it's is the like... the druid shape change is what it's it is. the druid shape change but not constrained in the same way as, as D&D typically does where it's mm-hmm. like here's the stats for the new form you're in. Mm-hmm. Here it's all about how does that form interact with what's around it? Uh, which I think is really interesting. Um, so yeah, I gave this the uh, Not What It Seems Award. <laughs> a little mimic in the big city. Oh, one last thing about it. I'm, I would love to figure out a good way to do this with more than two mm. because I, I know it's built for more than two already. It's like two to five. I think he says, but, but it feels like it would be, it feels like there needs to be only one. Mimic. It, it does in part because uh, the different food sources, like there, there's not a, a strong conceit to where, why you all stick together. Mm-hmm. So it feels like it's going to become like, there's some cool aspects of that, that I can see, especially for a con game, a really good GM with a really well thought out, place that you're all going into mm-hmm. could make it really interesting to like because you get to listen to everybody else's you know oh that's the guard who ran from my other mimic like mm-hmm. there's opportunities there but I think it needs uh, some more thought into that I think in some ways actually fleshing out the place you're going into more would help with that sure like if if it was a more geographically constrained um, actually oh man I kind of want to be uh Little Mimic and the big space station or something. Like, give a real, uh, kind of like uh, Blades in the Dark does for Duskfall. Give a really clear reason why this is your hunting ground Mm -hmm. and make it small enough that you could actually have all the Mimics running around separately and still have it be interesting because you're going to, like, see little interactions between what they do. Yeah, I don't think it's ever going to really be... It wouldn't be a party game, at which point I feel like it needs to be something more like uh, Polaris style, you know? Where you're rotating around talking about, okay, that's my Mimic's scene, yeah. and we're going to split over to your Mimic's scene. Because I think that, that being able to play off of switching between the role that is, I have to come up with what I'm going to turn into, sure. and the role that is, how can I describe this place that 
talks about the interesting things in it and what's moving through it, right? Yeah, so I think maybe bridging that gap to potentially either make it more of a party game or make it do that. Um, mm-hmm. Give some, like, clearly geographically constrained thing. Maybe instead of it being in the city, it's, like, on the ship, like, you, the which ship was Which is one leading. of the options, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, like, you never you never get to the city. It's all about the ship, which mm-hmm. gives it a more constrained thing. Uh, it'd have to be, like, a huge magical ship, I think, for it to work. But anyway, um, have uh, the 1v1 mode where it's one GM who runs a little ship and one mimic. And then if you are, if you go past maybe, like, three mimics, um, you start to split up the GM roles for the ship as well. And since it's like physically separated, GMs can like, there's a clear write-up for each part and the GMs can pass back and forth to like, oh, hey, my guy's running upstairs, like, just so you know. Yeah. Uh, and like do the kind of like group GMing thing. And then potentially if you have a really group, big group of people, you are playing a mimic and part of the ship. Mm-hmm. And like you can, anyway, there's lots of opportunities there to help this scale out and keep everybody involved. Yeah, way um, cool though. Love that concept. Okay, our last game. Zero one is the loneliest number. By... Most dangerous number. Oh, most dangerous number. Yes. Oops. I I wrote this one down, I think, because I, I honestly think that I read it every time as yep. the loneliest. <laughs> um, okay, by uh, Ursa Dice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this one, okay. I, the, the one hit point part of this one, to me, matters not at all. But the rest <laughs> of it is... is Really good. So the me- mechanically, the one hit point thing is you are playing, uh, you are playing dread with dice. Yeah. Right. Your die is slowly going to decrease, and at some point you're going to roll the one, and when you roll the one, you're you're out. Yeah. You have knocked over the tower, basically. Which I think, like, so the the shrinking dice down to something bad is a, a reasonably good mechanical thing. But the part of this game that really stood out to me, you are playing a. Uh, like a robot who is rebelling, basically. Um, and uh, you are given the rules of ro- robotics, heavily influenced by Asimov. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you want to break those rules is when you roll. Everything else just happens. Mm-hmm. And then you try to uh, cause a human to come to harm or by inaction allow a human to come to harm, and you have to roll. And, like, that is so good. Mm-hmm. That conceit is is just great. Mm. Um, it's so clear too, right? Yeah. Like, like it's it's basically an anti-move. Yeah. It's, it's do do the stuff that you want to do and you can do all this stuff because you're, you know, you're an android. Like, super yeah. powerful, really quick, whatever you want. It's just these things that are troublesome for you. Yeah. Why would you ever want to do these things? And then down at the bottom, it gives the DM tips about, here's how you make a world where a robot might want to do these things. And that's the section that I think I would have liked to see fleshed out more. I, I want to know a little, I, I want to think a little bit more. It's a wonderful concept, but how do you create a situation where potentially multiple players, mm-hmm. all playing androids, can do this and it won't be like weird or overpowering, but it'll also be interesting, like... I think you almost need some amount of, like, isolation and, like, humans, you know, maybe you do the, the 2001 thing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're you're on a, a long-distance spaceship, um, maybe you do, uh, like, a, a bunker kind of thing, like you're in a, a military bunker, you know, deliberately mostly cut off uh, because you're the last warning system or whatever, and there's all the androids, or, like, Moon, mm-hmm. uh, the movie Moon. Um, yeah, anyway, I, I think it need, I could use a few more pointers on 
how to make this work, but I love the anti-move thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that they are so clearly picked from fiction mm-hmm. uh, and that the the hard part is not what you... The hard part is what you are forbidden from doing and breaking right. your programming. Right. Um, so way cool. It, it is so cool. It, so for me, it gets the... Uh, the Deckard Award for Breaking Asimov's Rules. Um, Rockin'. So that kind of leads me, you know, we've gone we've gone long, but that's okay. We haven't been here in a while. Uh, that leads me straight straight to kind of the things I want to talk about that are these through lines sure. through a lot of these games. One of the hard things about designing a game that where you only have one hit point is if character death is going to be possible or easy or character removal is going to be easy, how do you deal with that in a group, right? Mm-hmm. You're talking about playing this this last game with with multiple androids. If somebody rolls a one, even on that percentile die, it's yeah. like now now what, right? New character creation in the fiction is hard. It doesn't make as much sense if you've got one of these really tight, maybe uh, isolated concepts, right? Yeah. Uh, and then where do you go from there, right? This is this is one of the really interesting things to me about uh, you know some of these games hit this straight on where, well, if all of you are out, which could happen really quick, then you're gone. Or yeah. here's how you do really quick character regeneration or the game that is entirely character Some of them kind of lampshade it with a like, mm-hmm. yes, you are just going to have another gig economy wizard stop in immediately mm-hmm. or your your identical cousin. Like that, that I think, was one of the, the fun things to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, like the variety of ways that people tackled this from mm-hmm. kind of like, the uh, the stealth game where this you can just die, but since it's a one on one game, exactly like, no big deal, it's right? No big deal. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's so many ways. It's also interesting how many one v one games that we we yeah. saw, which I think leads to your point there. Like it's hard to do with elimination so much on the table. Big group games can be tough. I'm really interested if that is a if that is a consequence of the jam or if that is a consequence of if you ask a whole bunch of people to design stuff right now, kind of in this culture of RPG design, there are a lot more solo and two-player and small, sure. you know, pairwise role-playing games, right? Uh, and I, I wonder if it's just in the air or if that was something that was very conscious about designing a thing that was going to work like this. Yeah, I, I think there there's some element of it steering people towards that. Like, it's a, a binary and that... Like, you want something that can kind of fail fast in that that sense because mm-hmm. you, it is, there aren't a whole lot of safety rails. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a big one. Uh, another big one that I wanted to talk about is this idea of having mechanics that are either parallel, that are parallel to the fiction. Sure. Where you do this thing in the mechanics and you say this thing in the fiction and they don't seem to tie together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a it's it's so hard to do. Yeah. You've you've built a game. How do you how do you make sure that you do that kind of thing? Because I you mean, know, one of our favorite moves about the new apocalypse world, right, is you get on but Jesus on the uh-huh. on the vehicle movement stuff. And it's how do you how do you make sure that you actually are are tying yourself back into that thread? I mean, I think the biggest thing is awareness. Like mm-hmm. a lot of my early designs looked like a lot of these where I would think about kind of the like 
a dice mechanic that led to that steered you towards saying certain things, but where the things you said didn't really steer back into the dice mechanic all that mm-hmm. much. Um, and that's like a really common place to start because uh, I think that's the model that a lot of people have. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, a lot of it was just a mental shift. Like now when writing a mechanic, I pretty much always try to write what's happening in the game. And like once you're aware of it, I don't actually feel like it's maybe that challenging to do as long as you're, you've set yourself into that headspace. Mm-hmm. And like I think that's something that you and I both noticed about these that like if I would have read this same set of games about uh, eight years ago or so, eh, maybe, no, a little longer than that, ten, uh, I would have not picked up on a lot of this stuff as much. I would have been like, oh, cool, here's a cool dice mechanic that steers you towards these outcomes mm-hmm. and would not have thought about the fact that the things you say don't influence that dice mechanic. Yeah, I think I think another part of it is this kind of trust. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're writing a mechanic like this for uh, people, for a computer, you need to have very specific tags, you need to have triggers, and you need to be very, very explicit about how everything's going to work because the computer doesn't know anything. But for people, you can just say, oh, yeah, you shoot them and they light on fire. You don't have to put some kind of tag on yeah. it, right? And I think the trust of letting the players in the game extrapolate from what just what you just described uh, is, is really hard when you're also trying to think of how can I make a die mechanic that, A, I don't feel like has been done a million times because when you're, you know... Game jam designers want to design something, yeah. Uh, and, but also, you know, is is it least, least a little interesting, a little engaging? Because uh, it feels like so many things have already been done, right? Yep. And then what was the last one? There was one more thing that I wanted to talk about, um, and I can't think of it. <laughs> so it well, shows I, me for not writing everything down. I think that this was overall uh, a really successful game jam. I think we learned a little bit about like being how game jams work and uh, there I think were a couple people who were just kind of like looking for exposure and didn't really know anything about what we were asking for mm-hmm. um, and that's that's kind of too bad but uh, I think overall like this was a really fun way to see a bunch of, of new games and I think um, you know as is typical with, with jam games I think a lot of the, the strongest games here are games that I'd love to see more development of yeah. uh, though I mean the, the, my top games out of this I would definitely put on the table as it actually pretty much all of them if somebody was like hey this is what we have tonight i would definitely play it mm-hmm. and then the the top tier are ones that like i think i might try to find the right people to play with mm-hmm. um which is is really pretty strong like that is considering the number of games that i've like paid good money for and not <laughs> felt that way about yeah, uh, sure. this is this is a, a strong set of games yeah i'm so used to i i do a lot of reading for role-playing game contests and story game contests and other game design contests yeah. and i was very much expecting there to be about 50 percent playable yeah. games where i could put this on the table but i wouldn't actually be able to start because you're missing something huge yeah. about it but everything here is is complete and well-written and playable. Yep. And all of the things that we're talking about are these little nits. Yeah. And when you get to that point, it's so hard to know how something would actually play just from reading. Yeah. And so if you have played your game and it totally doesn't work the way that we thought it would work, then let us know because that's that happens all the time. You know, you read a rule book, you read, you take a look at a, some box art and you're like, oh, I know what this is. And you, you have no idea. So yeah. totally cool. Well, cool. Uh, So I think that's it for our 1HP Game Jam. We finally finished it up.
Mm-hmm. Uh, and we will be back sometime in the future with some kind of new topic. Who knows what's next for us? Uh, the vagaries of podcasting. So cool. Until next time, uh, I'm Sage Latora. I've been here with Adam Blingensoff, and this has been another question. Beautiful. Do you want to record an intro? I don't think so. I actually I think, think this so one inner like I, I don't want to spoil too many of the the things. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Cool. Thank you, sir. No problem. All right. So that is.